All right, welcome to another episode of the Empowerment Perspective Podcast. Overtime, I go by the name of Demiso Josie alongside Spencer's here. How you doing, sir? Doing well. We live at the barbecue. Live, live at, at the, the bar. barbecue. The infamous, infamous barbecue. Family <laughs> barbecue, family empowerment. Yeah, man. We out here hustling. Um, we just dropped an episode um, for the radio show, the Just Empowerment Perspective radio show, about getting the kids back to school mm-hmm. and giving parents tips on how uh, they can get their kids ready. Um, your thoughts on that particular show? I think we were able to give them some really good information, you know, so that they're re- they're ready to go. Because come day one, first day of school, if you're not ready, then what happens normally is you lost. Yeah, you're already behind. You got to make sure that they're coming out of the gate ready to go um, and, and fresh. And, and the teachers need to be ready, too. Yeah, it's, you know, vacation should be over for you. Yes. It's time to start focusing and um, getting ready for these kids that are coming in because you're getting a new crop of kids too. Mm-hmm. So um, you're lucky you get to follow the same group of kids, yeah, um, same, you yeah, know, yes. for for three years. I know there's some kids who's like, ah, I wish, that, you know, they they nah, they graduated nah, already. Nah, <laughs> I got to see nah, them again. Nah, I had a really good group last year, so I had a, a group of special students as well as my eighth grade class. So I emailed you a little earlier. Mm-hmm. I gave you um, Cheech's information mm-hmm. for a football game, so we want to check that out, but. For the most part, I had a really special class last year. Mm-hmm. And, uh, I'm looking to be able to take them um, and, and go to the next step. Right. So, summer period is going to be a really important year. For them. Now, we never talked. How do you prepare for the school year? How do I prepare? Um, typically, July, I do nothing related to school. Mm-hmm. Nothing at all. Uh, but then August, what happens is that I start um, getting into my documentaries and I start doing, reading my articles and things of that nature. So I have to be able to be mentally prepared. And then I start reaching out to different agencies and stuff like mm-hmm. that to see what they have to offer. What was the last documentary you saw? Well, the last chance you. <laughs> QB1. QB1? I was going to watch that the other day. So we had um, three of the guys. They sort of been, I guess, ranked one, two, and three across the nation. Mm-hmm. So that, that was really good. So Netflix is doing a really good job mm-hmm. of, um, you know, giving us um, a bird's eye view of what's going mm-hmm. on in sports. I'm going to throw this out there. Netflix, get ready. Another three years of Power Perspective Group going to have something for you uh, from the documentary side. And we're going to be on Netflix. I'm, I'm, I'm saying it today We're going to be on Netflix We're going to have something for you So we're down here in Egg Harbor Township Obviously mm-hmm. an area that we're both familiar with yes. Why are we live at the barbecue? We're live at the barbecue You know, so we can talk to I guess the CEO, the coach The GM, the family empowerment <laughs> Greg Cuggins Yes, and then we got Joe You know, and he, he's like uh, the Executive Bill Belichick. director He's like Bill Belichick So <laughs> he does everything that the CEO doesn't do <laughs> <laughs> Welcome to the show, guys. Uh, um, well, let me say this. Even though it's like the, the Patriots organization without all the cheating scandal. Without the so, cheating scandal. Yeah, I'm about to ask. Clean, is my name clean. Indeed. No, Indeed. Everything is clean here. <laughs> Just do your job. Yes. <laughs> that is funny. Well, welcome, gentlemen. And um, can you tell a little bit about what you do in your organization? Well, we have two companies, Family Empowerment Associates, which does in-community services for youth from anywhere from four years old to 19. And now we just opened a recovery center in um, Galloway at 76 West, and we were dealing with both adults and adolescents in drug and alcohol recovery. And why did you decide to embark on this journey? Um, we talk about having a why all the time. Like what, what is the reason why? You well, I, I think drugs and alcohol are, are ruining this this whole generation and other generations and um, I have some family members who had addiction issues so we're trying to kind of make that a whole lot better mm-hmm. yeah I got you and why did you decide to get involved in the need mm-hmm. uh, 8 out of every 10 clients that we probably see are duly diagnosed which means they have mental health issues as well as substance abuse issues mm-hmm. and it's kind of like the chicken or the egg mm-hmm. 
so there's such a need there with, with what we do day-to-day in in-home services. Mm-hmm. We saw that there was a need for outpatient services. We saw that there was a need for uh, intensive outpatient services. Mm-hmm. And we also saw that there was a need uh, specialization with youth, adolescents, for substance abuse. Exactly. So now you mentioned uh, the mental health aspect of it as well as the, the drug abuse in terms of your tactics and your approach, and I'm sure it's unique to the individual, but typically are you um, trying to uh, address the mental health side of it or the addiction side of it first, or is it a combination of... of a combination of both. Mm-hmm. Okay, okay. Um, and as educators, we obviously deal with a lot of mental health issues, um, so I wanted to stay one, there for a second. One of the challenges, not to interrupt, but mm-hmm. one of the challenges is a lot of times substance abuse mimics mental health. Mm-hmm. So sometimes you have to totally have someone weaned off of whatever it is that they're doing mm-hmm. in order to get a true baseline on where their mental health status mm-hmm. is. Mm-hmm. I got you. Um, let's go a little deeper. Mm-hmm. Let, let's go back to and start with Greg. The first day you go into a person's home, tell, take us through that. How's, how's that for you? For, for in community services? Mm-hmm. You, you walk into somebody's house, which I, I both work in my office and I work in people's houses, you get a ton more information by going in their house because you can actually see how they live. They don't get dressed up and sit in your couch in your waiting room and come in and, and talk to you. Mm-hmm. They're living there. You can see how all the siblings operate, how, you know, I've been in houses where there's a five-gallon bucket in the middle of the floor that's full of dirty diapers, mm-hmm. you know? So you can get a whole lot more information about what's really going on. Mm-hmm. So that that's the part. When you walk in, it's it's a little bit different because you're seeing so much more stuff. So it's not like when you come in my office, I shake your hand, say how you doing, and what are we working on. You you get a whole lot more information. Gotcha. Um, I guess to give parents uh, some. Uh, advice on on walking because I have a daughter and I have two daughters and they have their own room and I, I try to tell my parents uh, uh, teachers and, and parents that I deal with that you can tell a lot by your kids when you walk in you know just by the way yes, their room is, is, is laid out and the things you just have to pay attention to the signs that, that you see in there um, I'm for one I'll read my daughter's diary <laughs> as long as it's underneath my roof it's, it's yeah. fair game so okay. I'm going in there and making sure that you know I read that but I'm all, you also you know the clothes that they're wearing and you get a sense of their friends and you get a sense of you know where they are in a mental you know space what they're struggling with because they may not come right out and tell you like you know this is what I'm dealing sure. with and um, but you have to be really receptive of, mm-hmm. of, of that environment I think a lot of times when you're building a relationship with son or daughter um, having that those open conversations and making sure that the comfort level no matter what it is for mm-hmm. your son and daughter to be able to come tell you that really is tremendous and it helps a lot, mm-hmm. especially when you're doing in-home counseling or um, you're doing each other drug and alcohol counseling. Like you have to be really true about mm-hmm. what you're going through in order for real solutions to become. Gotcha. So uh, as a parent and, and uh, as a, a child that's struggling with substance abuse, how what kind of tools could you give a parent to be able to, to communicate and, and assist what you guys are doing? On the well, again, you say check check your daughter's diary. I think you have to be really vigilant. Um, mm-hmm. I just went to a training where um, kids were keeping drugs inside the rim of their hat and mm-hmm. stuff like that. And it, it's just you have to be really vigilant. You have mm-hmm. to know your own child and know their behaviors. Mm-hmm. And they're, they're probably the best indicators. Right, so. right. And be a stalker of your kids. Like, I'm on social media and <laughs> everything. There's no safe and, and just to emphasize, this transcends every culture, every gender, mm-hmm. every race, every creed, every mm-hmm. color. Mm-hmm. We're all in this together. Right, right, right. Um, 
let's go to the substance abuse side of it, um, specifically in this area in New Jersey. We have a huge, you know, uh, opiate uh, addiction. I've lost probably five students in the last six months to, to overdosing um, in, in that area. Um, I don't know what the answer is. I don't know how to, to, I know the preventative should be done, but at some point they're at a point where it's, it's too late for that. Like, I don't, what kind of advice could you give to be able to, let's start with resources. How can, what's the first step a parent should do once they recognize the Well, I think New Jersey has a new um, hotline that you can call but checking out just from the, your low, your uh, pediatrician, mm. they're like the first source. Mm-hmm. Gotcha. You know Services I mean? are usually geared towards least to most restrictive. Mm-hmm. So like he, like Greg had said, start out with the pediatrician and then go from there. Mm. Maybe you have to procure in-home services. Maybe before that, maybe outpatient services that lead to in-home services. Mm. And then from there, maybe like uh, a local adolescent or... Mm. Substance abuse program, and then from there it'll determine the level of care. Where if they have to go into like a, an intensive out of home mm-hmm. facility, where it's six to nine months, mm-hmm. depending upon the individual and their needs, everyone's unique. Right. And I think a lot of times what happens is that some kids don't want to change, mm-hmm. and because of that, all the services. So you start with the pediatrician, and you can go to um, your your outpatient, and you go to your inpatient. All of that doesn't work. Because they're not right. Mm. The disclaimer is this: you could be the best parent in the world, mm-hmm. and your kid can go south. Mm-hmm. You could be the worst parent in the world, and your kid can wind up in Temple or mm-hmm. Harvard or Yale. Temple's a great school, by the oh, way. Yeah. Thanks for the plug. Shout yeah. out! Yeah. Yeah. I knew I liked you. I love it. Um, I know there's a a lot of parents I talk to. There seems to be a stigma with mental health institutions, and they're afraid to. Uh, make that connection because I kind of feel like they feel like they're a failure in, 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 some, in some sense. How? What can we do to sort of lessen that that burden for the parents that may see? So we talked to a lot of parents mm-hmm. who said, you know, I'm not taking them to outpatient or inpatient because you know that's for crazy people or that's like what? How can we start to break down those barriers and, and make that feel a little bit more comfortable for them? Well, again, uh, there's a, a comp- uh, organization called uh, Perform Care. You can just call them on hotline. You'll talk to a therapist. They'll try to set you up for in-community services, which is not income-based. It's, mm-hmm. it's need-based, mm-hmm. and um, that's that's a first step. I, but I want to get back to some of the stuff you said. I think one of the biggest things I see is parents want to be their kids' friends, and mm-hmm. I don't. I think that's 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 the like. I think that's the beginning of the downfall. Mm-hmm. You know, I'm, I'm not my daughter's friend. Mm-hmm. I'm her father, and and. You know what? Sometimes I make decisions that she might not like, but the bottom line is I'm her father and I have her best interest. And, mm-hmm. and I think parents want to be their friends so their kids like them. Mm-hmm. And I don't. I didn't always like my parents, but mm-hmm. I knew they always had my back. Right, right. You were going to say something? I always use this in, in parent education. I say if you try to be their friend, you'll never be their parent. But I guarantee if you be their parent, you'll always be their friend. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And sometimes you have to make, you know, you can't be a politician. Sometimes you have to make tough decisions. Mm-hmm. It may not always be the, the favorite, mm-hmm. but... At the end of the day, mm-hmm. they're our greatest commodity, the right. kids. Mm-hmm. And I've, I deal with a lot of single parents, and especially single mothers, and, and in talking to them, they feel like they need to overcompensate for the fact that they don't have the father in their, in their life. And that's where the friend sort of comes into, into play. Um, and there's a, a certain level of guilt. And I have conversations with them all the time. I say, you're doing them a disservice so, mm-hmm. of, you know, making you know overcompensating for, for the lack of the fact that they don't have a father in the home. Um, that lesson... Is, is, is they'll learn from that you know what I'm saying and if you 
feed it the correct way by giving them buying them the Jordans and buying them mm-hmm. the stuff because you feel sorry for them it's actually hurting them mm-hmm. more than it is helping them and I think that once once that empathy and sympathy kicks in and, and parents like you said are trying to overcompensate what they're doing mm-hmm. is they are destroying them mm-hmm. they're, they're destroying the path that these kids should be on because you're trying to interfere mm-hmm. sometimes you need to go through pain sometimes you need to go through hurt mm-hmm. in order to get what you got there the, the greatest songwriters went through pain mm-hmm. and 8 out of every 10 families that we see are single parents mm-hmm. usually a woman or a mm-hmm. female and out of the two that are units probably one out of the two shouldn't even be together you go mm-hmm. into the home and the kid is the most stable right. those right. are the numbers that's what we see on a daily basis right. you know this as well from mm-hmm. doing and you know mm-hmm. it as well from in your position mm-hmm. and if you even look at CEOs of companies like your major CEOs and the ones that are doing being successful have come from some sort of, some sort of struggle mm-hmm. because they know how to deal with it mm-hmm. you know so when it comes in a business sense you know it's not you know the end of the world they know how to, to maneuver um, so I'm a firm believer that you need to struggle in something and as a parent I struggle with that because you know my kids have both parents at home so I find myself trying to manufacture struggle for them on some level <laughs> just so that they can you know feel it and <laughs> say it so and it's on a small level they're, they're little kids now so I talked about not checking their homework mm-hmm. no, you will fail if you get it wrong and you've got to figure out how to to overcome it um, I think you know teaching people how to fail correctly is, is a goes a long way to you know that mental health and, and leading, preventing them from leading down that path. I mean, I learned my best lessons in life from the hard times. When things were really good, I just glided. I'm not learning mm-hmm. anything. I'm just gliding. When I when I have to hit a brick wall, that's mm-hmm. when I learn a little bit of lessons. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So. Yeah, so it's so, many, so many lessons that you can learn through failure, um, especially learning what not to do. Mm. So you can't do that anymore because you success is the result of many failures. Yes, Absolutely. yes, yes. And being able to listen to people that's been there before. Mm-hmm. And I tell our students all the time. I said, this is an example of I just came from the mall, and I'm telling you, if I come down uh, English Creek, is an accident there, and there's potholes down there. It's going to take you three hours. Don't go that way. You want to go to the mall? Don't go. I'm telling you, I just came from down there. Now you make the decision yourself. Some of them are hard headed. I'm yep. still going to go down English Creek, and it's going to take them three hours hours to get to the mall. I said, I told you how to avoid all of that because I've, I've been down there. So being able to tell those stories and, and, and hopefully guiding these, these young people in the right direction is really huge. Um, we talked to your friend today and I, I kind of wanted to talk to him a little bit more. Like, you need to share that story. You oh, need to share story. those overcoming, you know, you overcoming things because somebody needs to hear that. Mm-hmm. I had no idea. Mm-hmm. No idea that that was something that he was wow. mm-hmm. So when, when he mentioned it, it mm-hmm. put me you know, I'm like, man, really? I didn't. I, he had, um, he's recovered from her, mm-hmm. so had no idea. I'd known this guy over 20 years. Had no idea that that was his stroke. So, mm-hmm. so, but today he was on a radio show and he he came out with it, and um, it sounded like he was really proud to be about going through that particular struggle, being able to come through. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it was definitely a deep story. And I just want, you know, more people to be able to share uh, their story. My father's sitting over on the side. We're going to get him in here in a, in a minute. But um, he has a testimony that he needs to, he, he would share too. And I learned a lot from from his story and, and mm-hmm. things of that nature. Welcome to the show, Pop. Welcome. Okay. Hey, how y'all doing? <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's amazing, though. You know, um, addiction mm-hmm. is a disease. Yeah, absolutely. And a lot of of stay in it because of codependency. Mm-hmm. You know, all oh, my son, they think you're helping them, but you're not helping them. Mm-hmm. You're not helping them at all. Mm-hmm. And uh, 
1995. I've been recovering. Wow. Mm. Amen. You know, so, you know, I, this it's a lot. I, I could sit for hours and days to tell you about my story, but, you know, it's, it's a blessing. So you're on the cusp of a quarter century. Yeah. And what was it that made you make that decision to... to I got tired of being tired of... Mm. Sick and tired of being sick and tired. And that's mm-hmm. when people change. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You've got to make that decision. Yep. Mm-hmm. And I turned it over. Mm-hmm. And, and, and I start seeing the results. Because really what, the, what I was really doing with the addiction, I was filling a void. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And I was trying to be somebody I wasn't. Mm-hmm. And that drug was doing it. It was making me somebody I wasn't. Mm. And when it wasn't there, I had to go get some more for me to be that person. Mm. So when I stopped, I had to learn how to be who I really am. Mm. You know, so then I learned how to do that, and I began to like me. Mm. Yeah, I didn't want nobody to like me. I I needed to learn how to like myself. Mm. So what I did, I started reaching out and talking to other people. And then when that guy shared what he shared, Mm. I knew automatically Mm. because likes a attracted likes. Mm-hmm. I knew what he went through, what he's been going through. Mm-hmm. So it's, it's just a constant battle. So out of curiosity, when are you going to make an appearance at uh, Family Empowerment Recovery Services and tell your story? Whenever you let me know, <laughs> I can do that. <laughs> I just have a question for you. How was it growing up with a dad? How did they he didn't grow up with me. Oh, okay. Yeah, I no, said, no, listen, I mean, it, for me, it was, uh, I think he left when I was maybe three or four. So I had bits of pictures and pieces, but I never understood what was going on until um, I haven't, you know, off and on we would see each other, and then uh, not to get too deep and religious into it, but um, something, God told me that I need to invite him to my college graduation, so I invited him to my college graduation, he came down, and uh, it was a great time, we had a conversation in my mother's basement at the time, and um, you know, he apologized for not being a part. At this time, he's, he's recovering, he's, he's clean, and he's telling me that, you know, um, I apologize for not being a part of your life and things of that nature. And I thanked him, and I said, I'm not thanking you for the apology. I'm actually thanking you for not being a part of my life because you taught your absence taught me how to be a father to my kids. And I knew what I didn't want for them. So his, his story and things, and, and I'm still learning bits and pieces of, of, of what happened. And at that defining moment, and the defining moment for me was when he said, um, I can't tell you how to live your life. I'm going to just tell you I'm going to be there for you. Mm-hmm. And that, that was all that I needed to hear. And I was okay. just like, all right, well, we're going to bridge this gap. And we're the best of friends. We mm-hmm. call each other every Sunday and talk about his Panthers. I'm talking about Cowboys. And, and he comes you know, up here and he's been on the podcast. He's been on the radio. He's not afraid to tell a story. And I respect that. Uh, you know, I'm learning still from him. And, you know, my own personal struggles with whatever it is I'm going through. And I'm like, he able to do that as a man to one conquer his addiction and then try to redevelop a relationship with his sons who we haven't seen in, in so long. It's it this, you know, it, it's a it's lot, lot of strength. Mm-hmm. Tell me about it. Mm-hmm. Teary eyed. <laughs> so and then the dynamics of my family I have two older brothers that are twins and we all deal with it differently and process it differently. So there's still work that needs to be done here. Um, but it's just knowing that story. So I see a lot of myself in him too. And, and, and good and bad so it's kind of scary too it was like oh, I know the story am I heading down that path too am I going in that direction too and then I can reach now I can reach out and say you know I'm struggling with this pop what you know how did you able to, to it takes it takes a, yeah. a two men to be able to get Absolutely. to the point Absolutely. So but the, we, the, the services that you provide 
I mean, a lot of people don't look at it as a disease. Mm. They, they, they look at that person and say, oh, you're a bad it's person. It's a character flaw. Man. Yeah, mm. don't do that. People think it's a choice. Yeah, mm. man. I mean, there, there's... Substance abuse and mental health are both If you get past the vice mm. that they own, there's something driving them yeah. to do that. I always, I always say this in my in my sessions. Like, I don't think anybody wakes up in the morning and goes to the cabinet. I, say, I, mean, I, want, I want some heroin no, because no, I, want to, no, I want to go through no, all this no. crap. Mm. They, go, they might wake up in the morning and say, I wish I could stop doing this. Make that point again, because you said that um, it's hereditary. Substance abuse and mental health are often hereditary. And to piggyback what Greg had said, people wake up in the morning, they say, maybe I want to be a stockbroker or I want to play center field for the Yankees, but no one says I want to be a heroin addict. Mm. No, mm-hmm. no, nobody mm-hmm. want to do that. No. Mm-hmm. I don't many, think so. Yeah, I've done many career assessments with, with my youth, but not one time. Anybody <laughs> check right. out the box. <laughs> no, 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 heroin addict. I want to be a president. I want to be a fireman. I want to be... A policeman. Absolutely. Nobody says But that. here's the thing, too. Um, what we got to be careful as parents is we got to stop being dream killers. Mm-hmm. Because at some point, we all, when we were little, I want to be the astronaut. I want to be the doctor. Mm-hmm. Somebody came along and said, you can't do that. Yeah. And a lot of time, it was a parent to say, you can't do that. Yeah. You, I want my kid to be a lawyer. And you yeah. need to be a lawyer. You, yeah. you're, live, you're trying to right. live there. You know, that's your dream. That's mm-hmm. theirs. So when you start putting up these restrictions and then you start reflecting, well, maybe I'm not good enough to be Mm -hmm. a lawyer. Maybe I was meant to do this. And then that's when you start to get that process of you you sort of being lost. But I applaud y'all guys, man. Thank you. Thank you. I really do. Part of cognitive behavioral therapy, which we often use, is I'll say something like those who say they can and those who say they can't are both usually Mm -hmm. right. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Mm Mm-hmm. And I think that's a profound statement. It makes you really sit and take a, a, a self-inventory. Mm-hmm. Those who say they can and those mm-hmm. who say they can are both usually right. Right, right. You try to alter the existing schemas, the thoughts, right. and you try to you know, bring them to a more positive state. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I just wanted, I have a story to tell about what you just said. I, I saw a kid, in a, I used to work for Atlantic Care, child and adolescent, and this kid came in with his mom. He was in seventh grade. And I asked him what he wanted to be when he grew up. That was one of my standard questions. He said, I want to be a fashion designer. Okay, so, you know, kind of, his mom was schizophrenic, so I said, well, you know, maybe he's just out there. Mm. He wound up in Lang City High School, and I was a therapist for the teen center there. He came. He wanted to be a um, fashion designer. He starts sewing, he brought these little things, and, and he put his name on it, and they looked like pencil things, but to him, they were pocketbooks. Mm-hmm. Okay? Kept doing it. Did it, did it. When he became a junior, he came up to the teen center. He said, I, I keep applying to uh, this college program. That, no, this fashion program, but they're only the college students. But he wrote so many letters that they let him in. He was the only high school student they ever let in this program. Mm-hmm. And the teen center sponsored it. It was a $500 sponsorship. We paid for it. He wound up going to Parsons, which is one of the premier mm-hmm. fashion. So I always talk about this story because... When he was in seventh grade, like I, it was a pipe dream for him, right. and he just kept at it. And actually, he had a he had a fashion show at the Lane City Library. Mm. They put all the stuff on a whole floor. Right. So, so again, he stuck he stuck to it, and, and right. he had a lot of odds. Mm-hmm. Like his mom was not had mental health issues, mm-hmm. and she had, didn't have a lot of resources, but he kept sticking to it. So, mm-hmm. I always talk about that story because yeah. it was a big success. Right. We as adults have to. Um, feed our kids' aspirations. And there's a lot of jobs and things out there that you don't need to go to school for. That mm-hmm. kid could have been a fashion designer when he was 12. Absolutely, absolutely. <laughs> yeah, so we gotta start feeding 
the, our kids' aspirations and, and really supporting them. That should be our role as, as you know, adults. And I see kids, not necessarily my physical kids, but any right. kids in the neighborhood or anybody that you work with or come across. A lot of times what happens and what leads kids down that, that path where they get involved with substance abuse and even alcohol for that matter is because someone that they held really close to their heart told them that they can't do something. Mm-hmm. So now what happens is that somebody else who doesn't really know them mm-hmm. that well, doesn't even care about them, they start introducing me to a lifestyle. And after that, it goes all downhill because they talk, They start telling them everything that they want, everything they can have. That lifestyle is a huge thing, and I'm kind of glad you brought that up. Even with you know my personal struggles, even years ago, I found it was like the lifestyle I was living was causing the issues. They had a saying in uh, rehab that... Is is the drug that kill you, or is the lifestyle that kill you? Mm-hmm. It's the lifestyle. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And then we had battles across the, our tables about figuring out which one was the. And I hear you talking about mental health. Yes, sir. Yeah. Uh, they were saying, man, this stuff is brainwashing you. Well, I need my brainwash. Mm-hmm. Cause it's dirty. <laughs> you can't get an accurate baseline until you're off the drugs for what mm-hmm. the mental health issues are. And then you need a. a Higher power to turn yourself over to. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You 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 got to do that. That's the mm-hmm. only thing that's gonna clean you. Mm-hmm. Cause you can't do it on your own. Mm-hmm. Spiritual connection is right. Oh man, I was depleted when I was out there like that. Mm-hmm. Demons was and all that stuff was just tearing me up. And then when I April the seventh, April the sixth, nineteen ninety five, when I decided to turn my will over mm-hmm. and I let it go, mm-hmm. and it was a fuzzy feeling came on me. And I, and I haven't since mm. dealt with that drug or nothing. Nice. Can we talk about, again, go back to mental health thing, and I feel like there's layers to mental health. Right? I think the common perception is that you, you know, you're dealing with your uh, schizophrenia, you're dealing with suicidal ideations, but I think there's so many different levels to exactly. mental health. Can somebody elaborate and break down technically what mental health is? Well... I think well, I think the whole United States has anxiety now. Ever since 9/11, mm-hmm. I think everybody has anxiety mm-hmm. to a certain extent. We learn how to cope with it and we deal with it. But um, I think it's about choices. When I was a kid, I had six channels: three, mm-hmm. three UHF and three VHF, mm-hmm. and three of them didn't work most of the time. Yeah, so you had three channels. <laughs> now there's a thousand channels. There's th- thousands of things you can do. There's a, you can go to different schools. When I when I was growing up, you had you either went to Catholic school, or you went to a public school in your area. You mm-hmm. didn't have so I think a lot of it's anxiety over choices and, and what am I going to do and in and, and the recent so Especially generation. social media. Mm. Our parents didn't have social media. Mm. Facebook back in the day was you picked up the telephone and mm. called someone. Mm-hmm. And today we have streaming live. Like if you watched a ball game on Monday Night Football, mm-hmm. you waited until Tuesday sometimes to get the results mm-hmm. because of what time the game ended if it was on the West yeah. Coast. Yeah, yeah. Uh, social media is, is, is a tough thing to navigate. And the interesting thing, it, was, it wasn't created for what it's being used for. You know? Absolutely. It was, it was more created for the business aspect of, of being able to have conferences mm-hmm. across the world and things of that nature. And we just used it and using it as a, as a social tool. Um, and it's just, it's, I, I, I struggle with it because, especially with young people, because the life that you see on social media is not real. And I can't tell people enough. You're not living like that right. all the time. It's a, it's a, it's a fantasy. They, they don't know how to have relationships. Mm-hmm. No. no. Reality TV and such is They do not know how to have relationships. Mm-hmm. So when they come, they're either defensive or offensive. Mm-hmm. Well, this is, 
this is the relationships today. Yeah. It's yes. It's texting. It's texting. It's not face to face communication will always be the best form of communication. Absolutely. When's the last time somebody wrote a letter to somebody and sent it? Talk to them on the land for a field. Mm-hmm. Don't happen no more. Mm-hmm. Well, how about you go down? I want to go back to your question when you were talking about the layers of uh, mental health. So mm-hmm. you have everybody. I think everybody has an issue. With health. Mm-hmm. Everybody, but you have healthy, you have unhealthy. Mm-hmm. So when it becomes unhealthy and you can no longer um, function mm-hmm. on a daily basis, mm-hmm. that's when you start to think, okay, I need some help mm-hmm. because this is taking too much mm-hmm. out of me, and I can't only think about this. Mm-hmm. And if you, it's becomes unhealthy. Nothing right. you can do. It's it's pretty much everything is focused on this one. That one. Huh. And I, I'm just thinking as you said that I'm looking at um I'm thinking about my daughters and they even a little bit older. I feel like a lot of people start falling down that rabbit hole because they're too dependent on other people mm-hmm. and on other things. I try to put my family in a situation where we don't need anybody or anything. If you want to help, if I ask you for help, you want to help, then it's fine. If, if not, then I'm going to still be okay. And I think that you, a lot of people are falling in that rabbit hole because when I go ask you for help and you're not able to help me, right. now I'm, I got, oh, you're not a good friend. You're not my friend. Now I'm starting, the rabbit hole is starting to get deeper and deeper and deeper. It's not so much as me asking for help, but me looking for suggestions mm-hmm. on how I can help myself. Mm-hmm. Because that's when you talk about healthy and unhealthy with mental health. Mm-hmm. Like, if you're telling me what I should be doing now, I can just come to you, you're going to be able to tell me about my whole life. Right. But if you're giving me suggestions, well, maybe you should try this, or maybe you should do this. Maybe. So communication, mm-hmm. when we talk about face-to-face communication, yeah. if you have somebody, a small circle of friends that you can trust and tell and talk to about your day, mm-hmm. now what happens is that you're not holding on to it. Mm-hmm. So you're not carrying it over to the next day. Mm-hmm. But what happens is that a lot of times we get a book bag and we just put everything back yeah. It becomes too much. Yeah. And one of the things that I, I really treasure is the persons that was helping me been through what I've been through. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we talked about that it's all the very time. difficult for yeah. me for some me to perceive what you're talking about. Because mm-hmm. you coming to me with a scientific aspect, mm-hmm. but you ain't been uh, through theoretical. Yeah, you have never had a hangover, mm-hmm. you haven't never done nothing. How you gonna tell me how I feel? Mm-hmm. So when I I get someone that say, let me tell you about my story, their testimony, or whatever you want to say, mm. then I say, oh man, I'm going through the same thing, and then they tell they well, like y'all do, supply us with the tools that we can use mm. mentally, spiritually, how we can avoid some of these issues. Mm. Then I, then I, I start putting it together, and I say, okay, this is how it works. But until then, my own accord. Well, as therapists, sometimes we're, we're kind of geared not to not to share our own lives as much as okay. I see. You know, some people come in, and it's okay to share your experience, and so you, somebody can relate to you. But sometimes people share their lives and kind of put their troubles on their clients, and that's not a really good thing. But to share, say, I have I have ten kids, I have nine step kids, and one biological uh, daughter. If I if I have a client who's struggling with blended families, if I say that, they yeah. can understand and say, hey, he he understands yeah. some of the stuff I'm going right, through. Right, right. Yes, but I don't sit there and say, well, yeah, and this one did that, mm-hmm. this one did that. Yeah. Yeah. No, I just kind of share so they can understand. Yeah, and then and two, by me speaking to uh, prisons and going into uh, different recovery places, I had to learn what I need to speak about. Mm. Like you were saying, you 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 can mess somebody completely up, mm. like giving them yeah. the wrong message. Mm. Yeah. You can mess them, slap up. Because so, they're real delicate 
And they so you're fragile when you're talking. Exactly. Exactly. Very fragile. So it's, you can send them straight to ATLL, or you can send them. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Hmm. So, so as a therapist, sometimes it's a hard choice to it, to, yeah. to pick. Do I disclose? Do not disclose? Yeah. You have to kind of pick you're your moments. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. Self disclosure. Yeah. If it's used in the appropriate manner, it ain't no book therapeutically. Text. It ain't no yeah. book text mm-hmm. doing it. Just like parenting, there's no book to come. Mm-hmm. You know, you, you can get a book to learn how to drive. Mm-hmm. You can learn how about marriage stuff, but there's no book mm-hmm. about that. And I think your delivery also tells your client that, um, well, he knows what he's talking about. Either been through something himself, he knows somebody, he's seen this before, without you having to tell the story. Um, So I think that's that's really important. Um, Just for the young people out there, you have to put yourself around people that's going to empower you and not take away from your your, your dream or whatever it is that that you're doing. Um, they're, They're tying themselves to people because of circumstances, they live in the same neighborhood or, you know, their relatives and they're not looking at, well, and it's kind of, you need to be selfish on some level. Well, what can I get out of this this relationship? You know what I mean? But at the same time, what can I also give that person as a give and take? Um, if your answer is all they're giving you is a laugh and a smile and, you know, some weekend stuff, then, then that's not somebody that's going to take you to that to that next level. Um, so, it's, and it, it, it comes and goes. I mean, people are in your life for a season. And I say it all the time, it's like, you take you see the rocket take off, and then you, that, that rocket takes off, and then at some point the the things fall off, and the rocket keeps going. I said those people are people are like that. At some point these people are gonna fall off, and you have to just keep keep going, and hopefully you'll find another group that is gonna yeah. propel you to that next level. But some people, so many people are tied to uh, you know just people that are not healthy, for mm-hmm. and then and, and, and it's, it's detrimental to them, and it causes grief. Mm. Because, you know, you don't want to lose nothing. But when you do, because one of the things that I had to do was turn my way from the people I was associating with. I had to find a new clientele. Mm. And I said, well, they ain't my friends. Mm. But I had to really understand what my friends were, who they were. Mm-hmm. Like he was saying, if you ain't helping me, you ain't my friend. But even family members sometimes, <coughs> you, you can love your family members from afar. Mm-hmm. You, know, you don't have to be right there with them. You can love them from afar. And mm-hmm. sometimes that's what we need to do sometimes. And mm-hmm. I and I, I deal with that with my, my stepchildren. Mm-hmm. You know, I still love you, but you <laughs> you got to fight. <laughs> you got to go. Mm-hmm. <laughs> that's crazy. Let's switch gears for a little bit. Yeah, I was about to say that. We're going to switch um, gears a little bit. So, so, Greg, you have an interesting hobby that you... Obviously, have all around this place. It's all about boating. Yes. Well, when I got out of when I got out of high school, I, I went to a, a seaman school and I worked on tugboats for seven years. And, and growing up, we spent every summer in Brigantine, so we always had a boat. So, it's just always been around water. It's always been my little island of peace. That's you know, I don't really do drugs or I don't drink. I don't gamble my money away. That's my little island of peace. So I, I I've, I've had a boat since I'm seven years old. I've never been without a boat. Any particular kind of boat, sailboat? I started out. I started out as with an eight-foot boat with a three-horsepower motor on it, and I just worked my way up. Now I have a thirty-footer. Wow. Sorry. Okay, to someone like myself, don't know nothing about boating. How big is a thirty-footer comparison to what? Well, it sleeps six people, and and you can seven people can fish comfortably on. Okay. Next interview we're doing with Family Empowerment, we're on the boat. We're on the boat. <laughs> <laughs> we we're fishing. We, <laughs> we are fishing. Yes. Cowboys fan. Yes. There's a little conflict there. You got a Phillies hat on and a cowboy, you're a Cowboys fan. Why are you a Cowboys fan? 
Well, they're America's team. Yes, they are. I, I concur. So, no, somebody said something the other day. I don't know if it was um, Skip Bayless. He was like, it's America's team. But America's team hasn't won anything about 20 years. Neither has no, America, technically not. <laughs> <laughs> so the Cowboys win the Super Bowl. America's going to start winning. No, I'm just messing. What's your team? I'm already fan. How'd that happen? With Chucky? You back with Chucky? Chucky was there last night. Yes. Uh, Marshawn got a 60-yarder call back. Mm. Called it back. It looked good yeah. to me. Matter of fact, we were at Chicken Peas. Mm. Like, Colton uh, Miller got a called the penalty on the first-round pick. It was a hold, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, we were at uh, Chicken Peas, and we were talking, and this guy in mid-sentence just starts screaming and hollering. I'm like, what's wrong with it? Listen, it's running been a long time since <laughs> I had something to cheer about this going on. Um, <laughs> But no, so I originally was a Cowboys fan. So when you talk about Tom Landry, you talk about um, Tony Dorsett and Drew Pearson, um, Everson Walls, I was a huge Cowboy. And then when they moved me to Pleasantville, it was just too many Cowboys fans. So you know what? I'm going over. Marcus Allen just pulled off that amazing run. Marcus Allen was a transcendent talent. Yeah, yeah. that's how I went over. And then we got Bo Jackson. That's it. I'm here. Yeah. I'm not mad at that. You know, you guys invented the tough rule. Thank you. Thank you, Oakland. And the stick'em rule. Yeah, the stick'em rule. Yeah, the stick'em The stick'em, yes. We had the stick'em. But when it comes to that tuck rule, that's a really personal sentiment for me. I've never heard of play football my whole life. And nobody ever screamed, this is a tuck rule. Nobody ever said anything about that. Kids are saying that now in a two-hand tuck rule. Playing 7-on-7, it's a tuck rule. That is too funny. Um, so you're Phillies. You're a Phillies fan? Phillies fan, Sixers fan, but I like Dallas. But in general, I was very happy to see the Eagles win the Super Bowl. It was nice to see. Yeah, very much a team dynamic. It was next man up. And I thought. Greg earlier, how are they going to learn how to win? Because they can't be angry anymore. They're the Super Bowl champions. They can't throw snowballs in the Super You know, to make an analogy, and I always use sports analogies, and a lot of the ladies that I work with, they laugh. Even like, when you interviewed me, yes. When I interviewed you, I yes. did. The Eagles had a personality last year where it was the next man up. Hmm. And at family impairment, it's often the next man up. Hmm. It's not Greg or myself or Samantha Knock or Joe Stahl hmm. or Joanne Klein or Kareem Spence or Rebecca Lee. And I could go on and on and on. We could go down the whole roster. Hmm. That's what it is here. It's, it truly is a family. The, the CEO, Greg, he, he's foster the culture where it is a family within a family. Mm. Mm. Now, what does that mean? Because a lot of organizations and a lot of companies say oh, we're family, and, and it's so not like that. Like, what does that mean, being creating a family? To, to, to me, it means I work, I work for Landcare for a long time. And at one time, we had a, a boss, and he would come in, and he'd say, hey, how are your kids? And it's like, we didn't go out, we didn't go out to the bar. He didn't come over to my house, mm-hmm. but I just knew that he kind of knew what was going on. And that was a good boss for me. Mm. Uh, he just showed that he cared about me as, a, as an employee. And if I had a disagreement with him, he never, I won't say never, but rarely changed his mind, but he would at least entertain my discussion about right. it. And I, and I think that's that's what families do. Mm. Nice. And families argue at times and disagreements. And we've had many disagreements where we've been able to come back to the table and, you know, get back to business. 
It's nice. Well, gentlemen, I definitely thank you for your time. We're going to take you away from your bar- barbecue yeah, too much. To <laughs> Get back to the barbecue. But thank you for uh, you know the information that you give our audience and things. And um, we're definitely look forward to having you guys back on the show at some point. On the boat. Thank you. On the boat. On the boat. Sounds good to me. Any last words, sir? I just want to thank Brett and Joe for their time because they didn't have to do this, but they decided that you know this was something that we can do be able to get the information out there for people that need help. Um, especially with the, the new arrival of the program of substance abuse and um, that issue that these guys are going to tackle um, to be able to help Atlanta County and actually New Jersey in general because we need all the help we can get. Mm. All right. So, Pop, any last words? No, just, you know, it's a blessing, man, to be here. You know, with him, with Mr. Petty. And, uh, yeah. And, you know, I'm on the other side. But, but prior to, you know, it's a blessing. Mm. Thank you yeah. for having me. And I just want one last word for parents. Don't don't give up hope. You all, there's always hope. Mm. There, there's hope out there. And, you know, if your kid's struggling with drug addiction, mm-hmm. um, there's hope out there. Um, And I'm going to close with today's lesson. Today's lesson is about don't be afraid to tell your story um, and don't be afraid to help somebody else. Um, Your story and what you've gone through, you don't have to necessarily be a therapist. You don't have to be an educator. Uh, Take the time to sit down with somebody and and just have a conversation, you know, face to face and and connect with people Um, and step out of your comfort zone a little bit and make friends and connect with just people, um, you know, because somebody out there needs to hear your story and needs to have that connection. You can be a blessing to somebody without you even knowing it. So um, reach out. Um, you know, let's just help each other, man. And let's just uh, be there for each other and support each other and, and give each other, you know, that love and, and guidance that, that we, we can um, give, you know, say whether it's children or, you know, your, your friends and family members. Just Let's just make this a better place, man. Let's stop being selfish and, and stop, you know, thinking it's all about you and, and really, really um, work out on helping others and, and making this, you know, place a better place to, to be. So on behalf of the Empowerment Perspective Group, this was Overtime and stay empowered.